like that 12-foot truck all the way to California, back all the way to New York, back. It's hard. <laughs> the first time I moved, let me tell you a little story about the first time I moved, it was so hard that I felt it in my body. I don't know if you've ever actually felt it. Not just like the sore muscles, but when my wife and I moved for the first time, we got married, and then within six months, we decided we were from Atlanta, and we decided we would uh, move to St. Louis to start seminary. And it was the first time we'd ever moved outside of Atlanta. I'd ever moved outside of Atlanta. And so we packed up the, the, the Penske truck. Um, my father-in-law, my brother, and my dad all helped us move up. And we moved into our apartment, got all the boxes out of the truck, and then we went to the airport and we put our, my father-in-law, my brother, and my dad on the airplane, came back home, and I sat on the bed, and I just started weeping. I started crying. I started just, I was like, this is it. We've moved. I just looked at all the boxes that were out there, and actually, I, I began to feel it in my, like, body so much that I felt so, like, I felt like I was having a heart attack. Like, it was one of those moments where I was like, my, I don't know what's happening, if I'm having a panic attack or whatever, but I felt it so much. So we actually went to urgent care, <laughs> and they hooked me up to all these EKG machines, and they came back and they said, David, you have reflux. <laughs> 21 years later, uh, my wife is still reminding me to take my reflux medicine. So um, it was reflux, but nonetheless, it was still, I felt it in my body enough to where moving, it does that. It, 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 create, it, it upends us to where we, we feel vulnerable, um, everybody has a story about moving. Most of us do. Uh, I, I, would, uh, I, I look forward to hearing some of your stories, if you're willing to share them. So we, we, we've been following the life of Joseph uh, over uh, the last few weeks. I know the last couple of weeks we've had some guest preachers. Um, so we're, we're actually going to be uh, moving forward a little bit more. We're going to be accelerating into this life of Joseph. I want to get through with this before uh, the season of Easter. And so one of the things that uh, we're going to fast forward to is Genesis 47, verses 23 through 31. You can open up your Bibles there with me. And as you're opening up, just to kind of like give a real brief synopsis of kind of what's happened between kind of where we left and where we are, um, Joseph has ended up in Egypt because his brothers sold him into slavery. He ended up in prison, and he was brought up by uh, Pharaoh to be kind of second in command. And then, in short, <laughs> Joseph is able to reconcile with his family. There's famine in the land now, and Joseph is trying to bring his family with him to Egypt. And they, they arrive in Egypt in Genesis 47, and we get this uh, where we pick up in verse 13. I'm going to read verse, sorry, verses uh, 23 through 31. 23 through 31. Actually, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm going to read verses 13 through 27. I was a misprint. Verses 13 through 27. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they had brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before our, your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock 
and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, the herds of livestock and all my lords, or all my lords. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy, buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be your servants, will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may be, not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance for Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You've saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have brought each one of us here. Thank you that you love us, that you watch over us, and that you see us even now, and you see all the pain and heartache in our lives. You see all the brokenness in the world, and that you respond with love and mercy and kindness and goodness Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your character. Jesus, thank you that you come into the world to reveal your love and mercy. We pray that we would receive through your word now your love and mercy in our lives. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that receive your goodness and your mercy through Jesus in faith. We pray that your word would be the power of salvation for all who believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not done talking about moving yet. (laughs) For those of you who have moved or who are preparing to move, uh, when you move to a place, there's a couple things that are happening, right? When you move to a place, you're grieving the place that you've left, and you're trying to kind of figure out the new surroundings of the place where you're going. We just had dinner with a friend of ours last night, uh, who is in, uh, from a, a college friend of ours from over 20 years ago. She's getting ready to move to France. And we were talking with her about uh, just like, hey, do you know anybody there? And she was like, no, I don't. I'm going to have to get to know people. 
What are you grieving about with leaving? So we were having the same conversation with a friend at dinner last night even. And for, for those of you who've gone through this or for those of you who are preparing to go through this, you have to grieve where, you, where you've left and you have to kind of figure out the new surroundings of where you're going. And many of us have done that. So when Joseph's family moves to Egypt, this is exactly what's happening. They're grieving the place they left, which became desolate because of the famine. But they were also trying to figure out their new surroundings. Egypt looked like it looked a lot different. Think about the place where you places where you've moved to. Egypt was flat. They left the places, the place where they were, which was filled with hills and valleys, and Egypt uh, was flat. You know, much like uh, if you've lived in East Atlanta, beards are kind of a thing. I'm looking out, a lot of you guys have beards, right? That was not the case in Egypt. The men were clean-shaven. The people from, uh, that had to get used to the fact that these people were clean-shaven. Music and the arts were actually kind of a thing in Egypt. So they had to kind of get used to the music and arts scene. Uh, and Egypt was different than the place where they had to get used to where they were going. And so one of the things that, there's two, two moves I want to make here in this sermon. I want to look at kind of this, this idea of, of sort of moving, this idea of what, what I'm going to call being homeless, that, w- that reveals our desperate need. And then this idea of finding a home, which is ultimately God's provision. So let's talk about that for a second, uh, being homeless. Um, when they moved, if we look at it here, if, I'm going to give us attention to verse 13, if you look at verse 13 with me. Um, they also found when they moved that there was very much that was the same because when they moved there, there was famine was still very severe. If we look at verse 13 here, it says there was no food in all the land. So that was what was similar about their situation. There was no food. You know, when you move, you want to get settled in your home and you want to feel like your home is a place where your needs are going to be met. Well, when the, you know, when Joseph's family moved to Egypt, that was not the case. (laughs) Because they had been, they left a place of famine, a place of desperation, and they were going to a place where their needs were not necessarily going to be met because there was no food. It's a problem when you move to a place where the norm is being homeless. That's where they were moving. The norm was the fact that they didn't have any food. They didn't have um, their needs met. People are, were so desperate, they were selling all of their resources just to get food. So if you look back with the passage with me in verse, uh, you see it at the beginning of verse 15. The people come to Joseph, and they say, they say, our money is gone. Please don't let us die. Give us food. So upon Joseph's request, they sell all of their livestock. They come back to him at the end of the year, and they have nothing. They have nothing but themselves and their land left. They are desperate. That's the picture I want you to see here, is that when they come to the place in Egypt, they come to a place and they're still desperate. They have to sell off everything they have except for themselves and except for the land that they own. You ever, have you ever felt that desperate? <laughs> you ever gotten to a point where you felt desperate? I want to explore that with you for a second. Maybe you in your life, you've gotten to a point where you felt desperate. What does that mean for you when I say that? Maybe you can even point to a point in your lives where you felt like, man, that was a point I was desperate. Or maybe you've had a friend or a family member get to a point or at a point right now where they're feeling desperate, where they feel like they're out of resources. That's where Joseph's family was. They felt like they were, the people in the land of Egypt, they were out of their resources. They only had kind of their land left. You ever gotten to that point in your life where you just kind of felt 
out of resources. Maybe not material resources, maybe emotional <laughs> resources. Maybe it could be your m mental capacity. We just feel like, I'm done. You ever said that? Man, I'm just done. I'm done with this situation. I'm done with where I am. You ever felt like you've gotten to that point? Maybe you've, you've looked at desperation in the face. Um, I've had a couple, you know, I can kind of tell my own story about how I've felt desperation in my own life, but as I was thinking about this, that this week, I, I came back to a story where I kind of came face to face with uh, a, a woman uh, when I was living in New York City who was desperate. Let me tell you a little bit about that story. Um, I, one of the great privileges of being a pastor is I get to go, when babies are born, I get, so oftentimes I get to go, go meet the baby, and I get to go like hold the baby, and I get to, to, to pray for the baby. It's really fun. And when I was a minister in Brooklyn, I had gone, a couple in our church had had a baby, so I visited them in the hospital. I got to hold the baby. I got to pray for the baby, and I was on cloud nine because it's a great part of the job. It's a great part of like life just to welcome babies into the world, right? So I had left the hospital, and I was going down uh, to go back home, and I got on the subway in New York City. Uh, so I got on the subway platform, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was pretty, feeling pretty good about life. And I looked over, and I noticed that there was a woman who was sitting on the edge of the subway platform, kind of right where the train was going to, to come. And uh, at that time, it was almost like everybody collectively on the subway platform saw it at the same time. And we all kind of looked, and I connected with about two or three other people, and we all sort of froze. It was like a collective moment where we all sort of froze in the subway. And then I heard on this man yell out from the other side of the platform, pull her back. So me and three other people went to grab this woman to pull her back off the subway, pl subway platform because she was about to commit suicide. And we had to hold her back, and she was, it was a Chinese woman, she was speaking Cantonese, we couldn't understand her, and she was weeping and she was crying, and I was kind of in front of her trying to hold her back, and the other two people were behind her trying to hold her back, and I just remember looking at her face, and I just saw this face of just ultimate desperation. She had gotten to a point where she was ready to end her life. Right? She had gotten to a, that point where she was ready to just end it all. And I don't know what her situation was. Fortunately, the paramedics were able to come. They were able to get her to safety. I don't know what her situation was, but she was desperate. I still have that. I could still see her face. She was so desperate. You know, I read about the desperation of the Egyptians in Genesis 47, and I think about the woman that I saw on the subway platform, and I think, you know, that's really hard for me to relate to because I haven't gotten to that point in my life where I feel that desperate. You know, there's different, maybe, maybe I've felt desperate, but not to that point. You know, I might have um, needs that I whine about, but I'm not that desperate where I've gotten to that point until maybe I am that desperate. The only difference between me, right, and those desperate people are circumstances. If we think about it. My circumstances make me feel secure and safe. Your circumstances might make you feel secure and safe right now. But what happens when circumstances change? Which could happen to any of us at any moment. You know that, right? Your circumstances could change like that. Your circumstances could change in the blink of an eye. Circumstances are temporary. 
And when they're good, they can give us the illusion that we're fine. Have a home to go to, <laughs> have a job to go to, have family to come home to. We all know that our circumstances can change in a moment. You could lose your health. You could lose your money. You could lose your ability to work. And friends, that's actually a true picture of who we are. We are people who are actually desperate. That's actually what we're trying to come to terms with in the season of Lent, is that we are people, for those of you who have went to an Ash Wednesday service, what happens at an Ash Wednesday service? You get that cross, that dust put on your on your forehead. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's this reminder that you are, we're mortal. We, our lives are temporary. Your circumstances are temporary. And during the season of Lent, we're trying to come terms, trying to come face to face with the fact that actually, friends, without God, without Christ, we are desperate. Ultimately, because our lives are temporary, and we will one day die. That's what we have to go. We have, a, we have a temporary nature of life. And I think that's why we struggle. Isn't that why we struggle to feel at home anywhere? Have you really? We have moments maybe. Maybe you have moments where you feel like, ah, oh, the fire's going. I have a nice book. I have my cup of tea or something. You feel like, hey, this feels like home. I'm home. But then that, mo- that, that feeling can be gone in a moment, right? Maybe it's just temporary, right? I've struggled my whole life to feel like I actually have a home, right? I don't know if that's the case for you or not. Because even, we know that even the places that we feel most safe and secure and our needs are met are just temporary. We have this desire in us for a home that's ultimately secure and safe in an everlasting way. That's how you were made. And so even when you move, that's why moving kind of brings that feeling up, that feeling of vulnerability, like, Oh no, like, am I going to be safe? Am I going to be secure? Am I going to be loved? So, ultimately, we come, to come face to face with our own desperate need in the season of Lent. And I want to encourage you during the season of Lent, whether it be during a time of prayer, whether it be t- during a time of, um, of reflection, that you actually reflect on your own mortality, that your home is not meant to be here. That ultimately, this is a place where you are meant to feel homeless. <laughs> Actually, that's the way this world is designed. This is not meant to be your home. And so one of the things that I actually, like, I have leaned into, uh, I do this kind of, not just in the season of Lent, but I want you to do this with me for a second. Um, go with me here. Uh, one of the cries of the church, one of the prayers of the church, is, is a prayer that's very simple. It's a prayer that says, Lord, have mercy. And it's, it's the cry to God that he would show his mercy upon us in our current circumstances and situation. Would you just pray that with me right now? No matter what's going on right now in your life, I want you to actually think about that. Where do you feel like desperate? Where do you feel kind of homeless? And I want you to pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to pray that with me. So let's do that right now. Say, Lord have mercy. Let's say it together. Lord have mercy. It's a prayer you can pray anytime. You can pray it for yourself. You can pray it for those around you. Lord, have mercy. When you see somebody in a desperate moment, Lord, have mercy. Would you have mercy? Because ultimately, we know that this is not our home. We know that we feel homeless because we were meant to be with God. That's our ultimate home. And that's kind of the next uh, uh, 
point I want to make so we can feel homeless because we were not meant to ultimately make our home here. So when you move to a new place, you want to get settled, you uh, settled in and feel comfortable. But what you really need is, and I pray this for those of you who move to a new place, is you need somebody to welcome you, to say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Like not, and actually mean it, you know, like we all hear that sometimes. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, good, you know, kind of the, the southern hospitality thing, but actually mean it, you know. <laughs> like, hey, I'm glad you're here. I remember when we moved in New York, we moved kind of from one apartment to the other. We moved from, uh, from one neighborhood to the other, from Williamsburg to Greenpoint, and one of our neighbors just baked us a cake, and he brought it to us, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I don't know what it was, but that made me feel like I was welcomed and wanted just in my new home. You ever had that happen? Somebody welcomes you, and you feel like, hey, I'm, I really feel wanted here. I, I pray that that would be the case for a lot of you who are moving. Um, and if you look back at the beginning of Genesis 47, you can see that Joseph provides that kind of welcome for his family in verses 11 and 12. Well, yeah, I didn't read this, but if we back up to 11 and 12, then Joseph settled his father and brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land and the land of Ramses as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. So Joseph welcomes his family. He treats the people who have become homeless in Egypt the same way. He welcomes their requests and seeks to provide for them. So what I want to do in this next point is I want to kind of look at how Joseph listens to the requests of the people and provides a welcome, a welcoming spirit uh, in his new position. So let's go back to the text here. Uh, After the Egyptians ran out of money and livestock, they come to him and their desperation, and hunger, and homelessness. And if we look at verse 18, they say, if you look at verse 18 with me, there's nothing left but our bodies and our land. One of my favorite commentators of the Old Testament is Robert Alter. He's actually a Jewish commentator. Um, He explains that this expression is actually more cynical, it's a more cynical remark about their horrible condition. And the word for bodies here is best translated carcasses or dead bodies. In other words, they're saying that their condition is so bad that they're as good as dead. <laughs> their condition is so bad. You ever felt like that? Your condition's so bad that you're good as dead? That's literally what they're saying here. We have no, like, we're just completely out of all of our resources. They're as good as dead. But they still make a request for Joseph to buy their dead bodies and their land. And look, if you look back, stick with me here in the text here for a second. If you notice in verses 20 and 21, Joseph buys the land. He grants their request. But it says, as for the people, he made them servants. And Robert, Robert, Alter, Robert Alter, the translator, goes on to say uh, that this act of Joseph is not meant to be construed as an act of ruthlessness, but as an instant of administrative brilliance. And that's really what I want to kind of zoom in on, is Joseph's administrative brilliance in providing for the people um, for their needs, if we keep going here. Because look, if we, if we look, if we keep going here in the text, what Joseph uh, also goes on to provide is a tax reform that gives 80% of the land and its fruits to the people. If you look at verses 23 and 24, that's, what it, that's ultimately what has happened. I'll repeat that. He goes on to provide a tax reform that gives 80% of the land and its fruit to the people. And the people proclaim in verse 25, 
you've saved, you've saved our lives. Because he was able to show this administrative brilliance, he said, the people say, you've saved our lives. So ultimately, what Joseph had done was he had used his administrative ability to be able to provide for the needs of the people at the time so that they could proclaim, you saved our lives. They went from a moment of desperation where they were in utter need, their lives were completely almost, they said, dead. Does this remind you of anything? (laughs) To the point where they could proclaim, you saved our lives. I hope you hear the gospel in this, right? (laughs) Ultimately, that's what we have to come to in a point in our own lives, where we have to feel the most desperate need. Have you ever come to that point in your, in your life, in your spiritual life, where you felt like, I have nothing to give? That's ultimately the good news of the gospel. When you come to a point in your own life where you say, I have nothing to give, I have nothing to offer, and ultimately, I'm reliant completely upon God's provision. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of the, Joseph is showing us and preparing us for what Jesus, what God's going to do in the person of Jesus. So I'm reminded, actually, of a time when I went to, has anybody ever been to Washington, D.C.? I hope so, yeah? Um, I'm reminded of the first time I laid eyes on the Lincoln Memorial. Can you even see it now, the Lincoln Memorial? What, what's the picture of the Lincoln Memorial? Abraham's Lincoln is sitting there. And I don't know why, but the first time I saw it, my kinda, I kind of went and my eyes kind of glued in on his eyes. And it's such a kind of a beautiful picture because you see it almost in the statue. It's like he's looking out at the people and you can kind of see in his eyes in the statue that he's looking at a moment of desperation. He's looking at a moment of desperation in the lives of the people in America because what is he looking at? He's looking at, he's speaking into a time, um, he was the president during a time uh, of slavery. And I began, if if you've ever been there, you know that the is printed on the wall there on the Lincoln Memorial, the second inaugural address. And I was reminded of, of just even Abraham Lincoln's. Now, every, every historical figure is complex in their, in their background, but I, I, I want to show you and, and reflect with you for a second on Abraham Lincoln and sort of what he's celebrated for, his administrative brilliance and the way in which he um, addresses the needs of his time. So uh, this is part of the address, so go with me here for a second. One of, the, one of the, the quotes that I was like really uh, drawn to uh, was this first quote here. It says, It may seem strange that any men should dare ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. Shows you that he's actually attuned to the needs of the time. That he's actually attuned to the fact that there was a time of slavery. But he goes on to uh, the conclusion of his address. He says, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting lasting peace among ourselves and with all the nations. Abraham Lincoln is celebrated as a great host to his own nation, And he's ultimately celebrated for much of his administrative brilliance that brought about change in the way he uh, dealt with the issues of the time. He sought to provide for his own nation in a desperate time through his brilliant administrative ability. 
And friends, I think this is a, like I said, this story is a picture of the gospel where how, in the way in which we come, we are called to come to Jesus with our own desperate need. And God provides for us in the person of Jesus. But not only that, we're called to embody (laughs) that to the neighborhood around us, to the city, to our world. How may we be people who embody that, who embody that administrative brilliance to the needs of our neighborhoods, to the needs of our, of our city? So friends, like, I just want to conclude with this. We've been looking at the story of Joseph, and one of the main questions we've been asking is, how does Joseph look like Jesus? I hope that you get that from even just like as the Old Testament uh, whenever you look at a character, whether it be Joseph, whether it be Abraham, no matter who it is, whether it be David, you have to ask the question, how is this preparing us? How does the Old Testament prepare us for Jesus? How does Joseph look like Jesus? And let's remember what the Bible says about Jesus. And the stories of the Old Testament, like I said, prepare us for Jesus because they show us how God provides salvation for his world. The good news of the gospel is that God welcomes you in all your desperation and need. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you have a desperate... Actually, I, I struggle to believe that. <laughs> Do you struggle to believe that? That God actually welcomes you in all your desperation and need? If, I, if you walk away with one thing, I hope it's that, that God welcomes you. He welcomes your words. He welcomes where you are. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear your request. When you go to him and say, I'm out of emotional resources. I'm out of all the resources that I have. I need you. That's ultimately the picture that we have to get to. That God is just like, he gives us this picture of Joseph to show you, I hear your request and I grant it. And his administrative brilliance was that his plan all along, this was in seed form as we see at the beginning of the the Old Testament, his plan all along was to, to send his own son into the world, right? So that he might give himself, provide for your needs through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He welcomes you through Christ. Do you believe that? He welcomes. So therefore, when you believe that, you can go out and offer welcome, whether it's baking a cake or whatever it is, you can offer welcome to your neighbors and to those around you. That was God's administrative brilliance, was sending Jesus to the cross and finding a way to give us what we need. He used his resources, because that's what Joseph did ultimately, He used his resources to provide for our needs, to give us a home with him. And ultimately, that's what what we long for. That's why we have such a struggle sometimes feeling at home in this world, because ultimately our home is with God through Jesus. And so, friends, I hope that you, during the season of Lent, can really seek and find your home is with Jesus and that you can go and be with him because of what he's done for you in his salvation on the cross, providing salvation on the cross. Friends, let's pray. God, thank you that you ultimately welcome us. You welcome us as we are, and that's really what the gospel is, that we have to get to a point where we have nothing to give except for our need. Nothing to give except for our need for you. So we cry out to you, Lord, have mercy, and we Thank you that you, you do show your mercy and that you have shown your mercy. We pray that you be with us now, Spirit, that you would enable us to receive this good news by faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
come now to a time where we worship through giving, the offering. God is a good God who gives us the gift of his son, and we respond to him uh, through the gift of offering, which go to the mission uh, of the church. Friends, we're going to continue to worship now through uh, coming together at the Lord's table. As we come to, to this table, we, uh, we, we come here every week, and we eat and we drink. And this is meant to be a foretaste of the ultimate home that you were meant for. You were meant for a relationship with God himself. You were meant to be feasting at the table with Jesus. Where Jesus, what does he do? He provides food for you. <laughs> you come hungry, and he provides for you. This is a reminder, not only a reminder, but it's, it is a picture of what Jesus does for us. He gives himself. He gives of his own resources, of his own body, and of his own blood, so that you might be able to partake, so that you might be able to feel at home, because this is ultimately where we belong. You ultimately belong at table, at the table with Christ, where he is feeding you. That's what you're meant for. Friends, that's a mystery. Let's proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good at all times and all places to give thanks and praise to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you that you have come into this world because of your love, because you've seen us in our desperate need, and you did not turn away, but you came toward us, and you gave of your own resources, your own body, your own blood. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your life, for your death, and for your resurrection, that we can be united to you so that we might be able to make our home with you and abide with you. Spirit, we pray that you would feed us with this bread and with this wine, that you would enable us and that you would empower us and equip us to be people who abide in Christ and who embody Christ to your world so that we might be able to go out and to be your very presence into this world. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.